You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. So here it is, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 and 16 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then jumping down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's Word. Thank you, Pastor Dave. We are in a series that we just started, kind of a summer series, um, and we're talking about what it means to be life-giving. We're trying to help you to see what are some of the markers of being life-giving. What does that actually look like? And Pastor Dave started last Sunday with a great message about uh, not pretending, not carrying secrets in your life, actually being open and being honest with those around you in the context of your faith community. And so um, I want to piggyback on that today, uh, and I want to talk to you about not performing, all right? So one aspect of being life-giving is to not to pretend and have secrets, and another is to not be a person who needs to perform, to put on a show, uh, to do things so that other people can see you, all right? And so that's where we're going to kind of go today, and so that's why the choice of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is actually talking to the, the disciples, and he's talking in specifically about religious activity, all right, things that are doing, um, and that's where we get caught up in this place of performing, and he specifically talks about three areas that I'm going to talk with you a little bit about today, and that is giving, praying, and fasting, and I want to preface this by saying when he talks about these, and you're going to hear it as we go through it because I'm going to point it out to you, but he says when you pray and when you give and when you fast, And what I want you to understand and catch from that, he doesn't say if you decide to, he says when you do this. So the mindset of Jesus is that you are already doing these things, all right? And so I'm approaching it that way with you as well today, all right? Now, I know that some of you have come in my office and you've made grave confessions to me and to Pastor Dave, I don't pray, I don't fast, I can't fast, I can't do this, I I get that. But I'm going to assume that on some level, at least from your heart, you're already positioned yourself to want to do these things, okay? So we're approaching this today from the idea that in our hearts and hopefully in our lives, uh, in real tangible ways, we are indeed giving, especially to the poor. We are praying. We are fasting. And now we want to guard our hearts and be life-giving in this because the one thing that will bring death in the midst of giving and fasting and praying is if we do it out of a wrong motive and we do it for performance so that other people can see us. And that's what we want to talk about today. That is a part of being life-giving when we can do the religious pieces of our lives in such a way that no one is seeing it as an act. No one is seeing us create a religious stage around our lives so that others can see us perform, and we are no longer doing that. Now, I realize that this is going to tap into some emotional stuff for some of you right now because some of you are very performance-oriented, meaning that you grew up in a life where you were expected to do certain things a certain way because certain people would see that. And so that that caused you to have a, a way of functioning that actually brought death to you as a child. 
And so you've had to overcome that performance-oriented kind of mindset so that you can be able to actually do the things that you need to do that God desires for you to do, but to do them in such a way that they bring glory to God and no dishonor to yourself. All right? And so we're going to try to work through that and navigate through that today. And I want to specifically look at these three areas because I think they are pillars of our spiritual life. And uh, even in Judaism, they were considered the three pillars, all right? Everyone who was a Christian gave, especially to the poor. Everyone who was a Christian prayed, all right? And everyone who was a Christian fasted. And so we're going to look at these three things in particular. But the message here for you and I is that we check the motive of our heart so that we know what we're doing and why we are doing it. So let me kind of put this in a little bit of a context and a timeline for you uh, within the, the, the passage that David read to you, all right? Um, chapter 5 has just happened here, and inside of chapter 5, there's about three major sections there, okay? First, we have the Beatitudes, all right? Now, the Beatitudes deal with our Christian character, all right? They address the character by which we relate and we flow out of, all right? Then we have that passage that so many of us know really well, that salt and light passage, okay? And this is where we talk about the Christian's influence, all right? So first, Jesus deals with our character, and then he addresses influence, how we are to have an impact on those around us, all right? And that's more of a doing kind of place there, all right? And then we have that longer section of chapter 5 that deals with the law and with our own righteousness, all right, which is very important that we understand that we are called to live a life of righteousness, yet that very law does not cause death in us. We actually learn how to live out from under the law and to flourish even though the law is still powerful and demanding. All right, And so we're able to live and follow God's word and follow his laws without experiencing death. So then we come into chapter 6. And this next first section of chapter 6 deals with the Christian's motivation. This is where we look at our heart. This is where we look at why do I do the things that I do? And why do I do them the way that I do them? All right? And so the question we ask is why do we do good works? And what is the motivation of our heart to do those works? Now, I think that chapter 6 is summed up in two words, and that is God first. In everything we do, we put God first. We put ourselves last, all right? And so that needs to be the same in our good works, all right? God first. We do our good works based on God being first in our lives, not on ourselves. When we move into doing good works just for ourselves or to be seen of man, are to have someone think well of us, are to desire a good position inside of the church, or whatever. We can go on and on with those things. That's when we have become performance-oriented inside of our faith, and we're actually doing things with the wrong kind of motive. Honestly, today's message could be being a secret Christian. In other words, there are certain things that we're told to do because God intends for us to do them, but we're to do them in such a way that almost even we ourselves are not fully aware of what we're doing, that it's a natural output from our lives in such a way that we don't have to be constantly checking our motives. So basically we're saying that we need to be careful not to do our acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them, all right? This is, this is really, really important for us. But now, I don't want you to get confused here. Because I'm going to tell you there are some things that Jesus says you do in secret. And we're going to explain what that means, actually, to do them in secret, all right, as Jesus is talking about them. But you have to understand that Pastor Dave came along last Sunday and said to you, don't have any secrets. <laughs> and I'm coming back and saying, Jesus says, do it in secret. You don't have a set of bipolar pastors here, okay? We're, we're, we're all right, all right? We're telling you the same thing, all right? But we're putting them in the places just as Jesus did where they need to land so that you can understand how you stay free in both ways. There are some things you cannot hold secret in your life, and sin is the big one, all right? 
And so you are constantly checking your motives about your sinful nature rising up and doing war against your righteous man or woman. All right? And you're constantly having to battle that. As Paul said, I constantly beat down my flesh. In other words, I'm pushing my flesh down so that it doesn't have a preeminence and it doesn't form my decision-making and control it. All right? So I'm actually able to rise above the flesh and the desires of the flesh. And so the best way to do that and be life-giving with one another is not to have those secrets in your life, as David talked to you about last week. But Jesus says there's more to it. And there's some things that you've got to do and you've got to be careful about. And that is that when you are doing the acts of righteousness, that your heart doesn't get poisoned in that as well. And so it's better to do a number of those things in some form of secrecy. In other words, you're just not doing it so people can see it and think well of you. And so you have to be careful. And there's a real balance there for us, okay? So... We need to understand that, that, that Jesus is addressing like two different issues in these passages here uh, that we are talking about, all right? And, and one of them is that there is influence in our circle that we have, and we need to be aware of that. And so there are some things that we do, and they are exampled to others around us, and others get to see them, and they see our good works, but they glorify the Father. And so when God is being glorified in the actions that you take, the things that you do, that will give you a good indication that you have the right heart for them, all right? If you're getting the glory, or even if you're wanting to get the glory, then it's wrong. And in that place, there is death. And we're going to bring that out a little bit further as we talk here. The second thing that's going on here is I think you and I have to be constantly aware of the motivation of our own heart. This is, this is extremely important for us, okay? Jesus is showing us the difference between being hypocritical versus being authentic in our righteousness. And we are life-giving when we're authentic, and we are death-bringing when we are hypocritical. And I'll explain that to you a little bit more here, all right? It's not only important for you, for you to do the right thing, and that's, that's the mistake that some of us have gotten over the years. That's the message that we've heard. You just got to do the right thing. You do the right thing even if your heart is not in it. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You do the right thing so people will think well of you. You do the right thing because if you don't, it will affect someone else. And so you just have to do the right thing. But Jesus says, no, you do have to do the right thing, but you have to do it in the right way for the right reason. And that's the key. That's where life comes. That's where we flourish is when we're doing it for the right reason, all right? And that is to glorify the Father. He is ultimately going to get the glory, all right? So Jesus begins this whole section that David read to you. Basically, he's saying, beware. Watch out. Look out. Be careful. Those are the kinds of messages that are in that, that Greek word, okay? And so what he's saying is you need to be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by men. If you do, he says, you'll have no reward in heaven. In other words, there's nothing beyond this life for you if that's what you're doing. Take your reward now. Pick up your receipt. Move on. In the book of Samuel, chapter 16, God speaks to Samuel, the prophet. Saul has made some terrible choices and has lost his position as king. And God says, I can't have him king anymore. And he says, I'm going to send you, uh, Samuel, I'm going to send you to the house of, of of Jesse, I'm going to send you out to anoint a new king. He didn't say who it was. He just said, I'm going to send you to, to do that. And so Samuel goes, and he talks to this man, and he says, bring your sons out. Let's, let me see your sons. I want to look at them. I want to look on them. And that's how we approach a lot of what we do in the kingdom of God, is how does it look? How's it going to look to see this person do some kind of ministry. And, and oftentimes, 
are we not guilty of looking for the best or the brightest or the most charismatic of individuals to speak to us? Because there's something about us that looks on the outward appearance of man or woman, and we make our assessments based on that. Some of you have even more narrow ways of assessing whether or not a person <laughs> is, is religious or righteous or spiritual or good or, or whatever. But as the prophet goes, the first brother is brought out, the eldest of them all. And he's a guy that is of great stature. In other words, he's tall, he's handsome, he's well-built, he makes a presence. And the prophet, the man of God, the discerning one, the one who has the voice of the Lord, looks at this older brother, and when he does, he decides something in his heart. As the brother is put in front of him, he goes, that's the one. I know he's the one. He is God's choice. And the Spirit speaks to the prophet and says, no, be careful here. That is not my choice. You see, there's a problem, O prophet of God. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart of a man. That has never changed through history. God is continually looking at you and I, and yes, he is watching what we do. And we need to be very careful. As David pointed out last Sunday, the Holy Spirit knew exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did, and they were judged and, and suffered death as a result of what they did deceptively and secretively and tried to hold that secret from God. But God is saying to the prophet in the Old Testament, I see everything, including deep into the heart. And so what's on the outside doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter how nicely you dress today. It doesn't matter how clever you appear today. It doesn't matter what kind of paperwork you bring to the table to prove how intelligent or bright or smart you are. Those are not the things that matter to God. God doesn't even look on that. He looks into the heart to see where you really are, deep in your very soul. And God responds out of what he sees there. And that's why he, Jesus starts with this passage, like, be careful, it's a strong warning. All right, beware of what is going on here. All right, and so you and I need to do the same thing. We need to be careful of how we are functioning. What is the issue here? It is the motivation of your heart. It all comes down to this one thing who gets the praise in your life? And if you're getting the praise and you're setting up a culture where other people get the praise, there is nothing life giving in that. Because what you're going to do is you're going to set up standards and laws. And you're going to demand that certain people live at certain levels and function in certain ways. And if they don't, they don't get praise. And if they do, they do get praise. And what matters is whether or not you get praise. And God says, wait a minute. According to Isaiah chapter 48, God says, I will not share my glory with anyone. He doesn't say, I won't share all of my glory with anyone. He doesn't say, I'll share part of my glory with someone. He says, I do not share my glory with anyone. So there's never a place where you and I should get the glory. I love worship in Life Church because what we have cultivated in the culture of the worship team in Life Church is not performance, it is worship. And the people are qualified in some sense to be able to come up here on this stage and lead you in the spirit of worship. And that is that they are not performers. Are they capable? Absolutely. Are they qualified? Absolutely. Are they gifted? Absolutely. Are they trained? Most of them are to some degree. But they are never oriented into performance. And we'll never let it get there. Because in that place, there will be even death in our worship. It will be dead and empty and dry. Now, as we go into this here for a few minutes, we're going to talk about how Jesus speaks to 
the, the Pharisees and how he speaks to the pagans and how he speaks to the, 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 the Greeks and so forth, all right, about these areas. But what he's talking about is when you do things this way, when you do things to be seen, when you do things to be set up on a stage to, to perform in some way, he later refers to the Pharisees as empty, whitewashed sepulchers. Now, I want to bring that to your attention because we're talking about being life-giving or death-bringing. And when we are life-giving, we bring life into every situation. And that's who we are, Life Church. We are all about being Jesus. And Jesus says, I came to give you life and to give you that life abundantly. Pastor Dave brought that out beautifully last week. All right. But the reality is that our lives can be the containers of death. We can be like sepulchers. We can be like places where they are, they're literally graves holding death. And we can do that by the condition of our own heart. And not only can you be death to yourself, but if you're a container of death, spiritual death, you can actually bring that death to others. And if that's your offering, that is so ugly and so undesirable and so dangerous for the body of Christ. And so I want to challenge you today to let God speak into your heart. And these principles will apply to all of us in all of these areas of our lives, but especially in giving and praying and fasting. All right? These are important duties for every one of us. And as I said, it's all about the fact or the reality that Jesus is expecting that these are already being done. And that needs to be the reality in our lives as well, is that these are already being done. So if they're not being done in your life today, I'm not throwing a law at you, but I'm encouraging you to check your heart. Because it's not just about motive, but it's about what we really are doing or not doing. All right? And that's where we start. There, if you're not praying, you need to start praying. But if you're going to start praying, you need to have the right heart for how you pray. All right? So, so, so we're, we're kind of building here. All right? Let's talk about giving for just a minute. Let's talk first about the wrong way to give. The wrong way to, to give is with trumpets, all right? Now, you've got to understand, Jesus is actually using a little bit of humor here. He's throwing some humor into this passage. This is very hard. This is very challenging. This is very convicting. And so Jesus is using just a little bit of humor here, all right? But it says the wrong way to give is to be honored by other people, all right? And so he says in verse 2, When you give to the needy, do not announce with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. I mean, there's some crazy stuff going on, and Jesus is pointing it out, and he's like, okay, we got these guys, and they want to give to a poor person. So here's what they do. They get these other guys, and they stage this thing, and they have this procession, and all of a sudden, everybody hears these trumpets sounding, and these people are over here, and they're blowing their trumpets and doing all this weird stuff, and then these Pharisees come up, and they drop coins into the basket, and then they stand there, and they look good. So it's like they drop a coin, and they're like, look at me. I'm special. You laughed. What do you think the other people did? Jesus is saying, do you understand how stupid this is? Do you understand how ridiculous this is? Do you understand how unacceptable to the Father this is? So, so we do not announce it with trumpets like others have done, all right? He says they've received their reward in full. As soon as the trumpet sounds, Jesus is saying, all right, they got their payment, whatever they wanted, whatever their reward was, they got it. They take their receipt and they move on because they get nothing else. They get nothing else. He says, I tell you the truth. When you give, which means he assumes you're giving, give money to the poor as a sacred obligation, just as it was for the Jews. It should be for us a sacred obligation. I know what some of you have said to me. I hear you. I hear the motivation of your heart, but listen, giving to the poor, based on Scripture as we understand it, is an obligation that we have. And so when you say, I'm not giving to the poor because they waste the money. I'm not giving to the poor because they don't have good spending habits. I'm not giving to the poor because, 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 because. That's, that's the first place that, that we're, we're missing it, all right? We don't give to the poor because they're educated and they're, they're smart and whatever. There are some very smart poor people in this city. 
I've sat down with homeless people who have college degrees. And they're smart people. But they are choosing to live in a homeless state because of circumstances, conditions, and maybe some uh, minor me mental illness of some type. But they're there. And, and, and Jesus knows they're there. Jesus even said, you will have the poor with you always. They're not going to go away. And no city government can do things to get them to go away, by the way. All right? So we have the poor with us. And you and I, because we are blessed, we are blessed to be a blessing. It is, it is important for you and I that somehow, in some way, there are tangible efforts on our part to give to the poor. All right? But Jesus says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. That word, hypocrite, is actually a word translated here that is used to describe an actor who wears a mask. It is someone who is pretending to be something that they are not. It is someone who is pretending to be righteous when it was really all a show to draw attention to themselves. And so what they do is they orchestrate actions and events to build a stage around themselves to get you to look at them instead of focus on the Father. And Jesus says, I'm not going to share my glory with anyone. They've got their reward. It was that fleeting moment when they felt good about themselves, and then it was done. They got their receipt paid in full. That is a dangerous place for us to find ourselves. And as a church, we cannot do that. So what Jesus is talking about here is he's, he's saying that, that when you give honor, but the intent is to only be honored, then that's hypocritical. That's staged. That's, that's plastic. So you and I need to be no publicity-seeking people. We should not want anyone to see what we're doing. So when we give, we give in such a manner that we don't draw attention to ourselves. It's not wrong to give on a Sunday morning. It's not wrong if a few people see you drop your envelope or, or your, your crumpled up bills into the offering plate. There's nothing wrong with that, all right? But if you fan your bills out so everybody can see how many $1 bills you're dropping in the plate and you wait just a moment and pause until you make sure someone's looking and you go and pass it on, something's wrong in your heart. That's not the way we do it. And so there's some sense of secrecy in the sense of it's like modesty. All right? I'm not going to take my shirt off and preach bare-chested to you on a Sunday morning. Yes, all of you can say, thank you, Jesus. Please, don't let him do that. Dear God in heaven, we can't handle it, all right? Uh, I understand, all right? There's a sense of modesty that is necessary. In a sense, there's a secrecy about me in that moment. If I go swimming next Sunday, I'm probably going to take my shirt off. It's an appropriate place. It's not a big deal. And none of you are going to care anyway. Well, a few of you might because you'll laugh at me. But, you know, that's okay. It doesn't matter. See, there's, there's a right place for some things where there's a wrong place for the same things. And it isn't necessarily all about the place. It's about the condition of our hearts deep down. That's where we start at. But we can have secrecy and it be appropriate. We can have modesty and it can be appropriate. We can have restraint and it can be appropriate. And at other times, we're just all out for Jesus going crazy. There's nothing wrong with that either. All right? As long as our heart is right in this thing. So basically, what Jesus is saying, you can give in public, but don't toot your horn. Don't blow your trumpet, all right? Don't do this kind of stuff, all right? And we don't do that at Life Church because we have a core value about not drawing attention to ourselves because we want to be life-giving. 
All right? What's the right way to give? Well, the right way to give is not announced with trumpets, obviously, but we find obvious ways to give, and we check our heart. And he says, Jesus says, you give in this way so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Well, that's awfully hard to do, isn't it? All right? What he's trying to say is it's almost as though it's a secret. It's, it's in such a way that there's a natural flow out of you to give, and you don't really have to think about it. You see a need, your heart is prompted by the Holy Spirit, and you respond just like that. You give, and it's done. It's over, and you move on. And there was never a thought of, well, I wonder what people are going to think if I give. You know, or, well, if I give something at this particular time, everybody's going to know that it's me, and it's, they're going to know that I'm a spiritual person because I'm giving. And you know what? It really doesn't matter what people know or think anyway. And I don't mean that in a flippant way at all. You know, sometimes the question is asked, well, what will people think? You know, and sometimes if a person wants to do what they want to do, they just go, I don't care what people think. It's a very flippant response. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, I don't care about what people think of me in respect to the fact that I care so much more what God thinks of me. And so I live out of what God thinks and what God sees rather than what men may think or what men may see. And so we live in that place of being able to be life-giving. And you know what? If my brother gives $1,000 on a Sunday morning, that's great. Praise the Lord. And I want to rejoice with him that he can do that. But if I put a buck in there because that's all I've got, I can do that too. And you know what? There's no judgment. There's no comparison. There's no mixed stuff going on and crazy making stuff going on. We both get to give. And you know what? God loves my gift as much as he loves my brother's gift. And God receives the gift and he rewards according to the fact that we gave with the right heart, not necessarily by what we gave. And that's where we want to land in life, church, all right? You want to give in such a way that and, and here's the other thing we'll bring out about giving, and then we'll move on. People sometimes are bothered by this whole idea of heavenly rewards. Jesus says it, all right? I, Jesus says, when you give, and you give in the right way, you will be rewarded. You will be re rewarded in heaven, all right? And so I want to say to you that I believe that God's intent is that we should be motivated by giving, all right? But here's the thing. If our heart is right, we're motivated by giving because it's the command of the Lord, not because we're going to receive a reward for what we give. And so we give out of this sense that there are rewards, and, and there are according to the Scriptures, all right? And this is part of being a just God, all right? Every time you choose God's reward instead of man's reward, you're acting in faith. If you choose the reward of man, meaning you choose to get uh, a man's good thoughts about you, you get to, to, to lift yourself up in some prestigious kind of way, you get to feel better about yourself, you get to think other people feel better about you, you get to build a reputation or whatever. Anytime you're getting those rewards, and that's what Jesus says, you just got your reward. You're done. That's one thing. But when you say, you know what, I'm going to give, and I'm going to give because God requires me to give. God asked me to give. But I'm also giving knowing that I will receive a reward for it in heaven. What you're doing is saying, I choose a heavenly reward by faith over a natural reward in a tangible way for a now experience. And when you give in to self-gratification based on performance, you set up the ugliest routine for your life that is possible. But when you live out of faith that this God who calls you to give will reward you, you live out of the freedom to have life and to continue to flourish. Amen? So that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to give. And we do it in this some kind of secret sort of way, all right? The second thing that we're going to talk about is praying. <clears throat> and we did a whole series on prayer just a little while back, so I don't want to spend a whole ton of time on this. 
But I want you to understand that there is a wrong way to pray, and that is standing up in the synagogues and the street corners. And I want to talk about that a little bit because we pray in live church a lot, I think, all right? But once again, it's very similar <coughs> excuse me, to giving. There's a wrong way to pray as to be seen by others, all right? She says, when you do that, you're like those hypocrites. In other words, you're like staging it again. And folks, isn't, there, isn't it awful when you listen to someone pray and you just feel like that they're just talking to you and they've got an agenda or they're trying to manipulate you in some way through their prayer? That's, just, that's such an ugly place for us to land. So we don't want to be doing that kind of stuff, all right? So Jesus says, look at why they love to pray. He says, those hypocrites love to pray to be seen by men. All right? They, they don't love prayer because they love God. No, they love to pray in public for public attention. All right? And, and here's the thing. Every actor loves the stage, but every actor loves the stage because on the stage they get attention. And God is saying, you should not have attention brought to you when you pray. Then he goes on to give a wonderful example, the Lord's Prayer, which we're not going to look at that piece today, but that's the wonderful example that Jesus gives of them of how they might pray. And, and, and once again, Jesus is making this kind of like humorous kind of um, acknowledgement here of what these people are doing and how strange it is that they stand on the street corner. Now, if you've ever been in a big city, you know that street corners are major intersections, all right? People are crossing in both directions, and so there's a lot of place there to get attention from other people. And that's where you see, oftentimes, you see uh, people who are homeless, and they have a, a, a box or a basket, and they're asking for a, a donation of some kind, all right? They pick places where there's a lot of traffic, a high-traffic area. And this is what Jesus is, is, is pointing out, is they are very specific about where they go. There are two places where a lot of people gather. A lot of people gather in and outside of the synagogue, and a lot of people gather on the street corners, and so that's where they go. They go where the people are because that's where they want to be seen when they pray. And Jesus is saying the secret thing to do, the better thing to do, is go into your closet. Now, this word for closet here represents a pantry. All right? Not very many rooms in a Jewish home had doors, including bedrooms. All right? They were just very open areas that people could move about. But the one place that, that they could lock or they could close off was the pantry where they stored their food and other valuable items. All right? And Jesus is saying, go in to the closet and close the door. In other words, you're going into that place that is very safe for you to pray. And there... God will see you, and there God will reward you. And then he says, don't be babbling. Don't, don't just repeat phrases. Don't just be saying things. In other words, you ought to be pretty direct. You ought to be pretty straightforward. And I, I understand the idea of soaking in the Lord and being present to the Lord and being before the Lord. That's a good thing to do, but it's not the way you pray all the time. And a lot of our prayers can be much more efficient and much more effective if we just get to the point and just pray what God is calling us to pray. Jesus says it's wrong to pray to be seen by other people. There won't be any further reward. Here's your receipt, paid in full. Now, let's sort of hit the elephant in the room. Well, what about things like prayers of the people? You're getting people up and you're making them pray in front of other people. We are. There is a place in the kingdom for corporate prayer. There's a place where corporate prayer is not only pleasant or good or profitable, but it actually helps us to grow and to mature. It moves us towards the Lord. It also moves us in the sense of our maturity to be able to pray. And so when we have prayers of the people up front, or we, we have a prayer from someone on the praise team, or we call on someone to pray in a particular situation, 
are we're bringing people up front and sending them out on the mission field. And so we gather the elders and their wives around them and they pray over them. These are all important, specific times of prayer that are not only good, but I think they are necessary for the body of Christ as we come together. They never take the place of you going into the closet and closing the door. There are those times when you need to be in prayer and it needs to be secret. But there are times when we need to gather and pray together. One of the things I love most about prayers of the people is that not only do we target specific areas of prayer that I think we need to target, but we also learn how to pray about specific pieces that are, that are necessary for us to pray over. We get vocabulary. We learn how to pray when we listen to others pray. And so these are important times. But there is something about calling us together in unity and all of us coming into agreement with one another as someone is leading us in a prayer. And then there's the opportunity for us just to pray in one accord. That word accord used there in that place of the, the early church coming together and praying out loud together. I know some of you really hate that out loud piece, don't you? I know you do. You, you can be honest with me, okay? I know you do. You hate, you hate that there's a moment where you're asked to pray out loud. And some of you do it, and some of you don't, and some of you play around with it, and some of you actually whisper. So we have out loud prayers, silent prayers, and we have this middle-of-the-road group who are trying to figure it out, and you're all whisperers, all right? And so it's happening. That word when the early church prayed, and they prayed out loud together, uh, that, that one accord was not... It was not a, a, a doorway into chaos, all right? Yeah, each person prayed out loud, but no one was focused on what the other person was praying. But that word accord has the sense to it of this. It's like when a symphony orchestra starts to tune up and they start to play sounds out of their instruments, notes, they may not all be playing the same note at first, but when the maestro steps up, it stops, and it's one note, and everybody comes together. And the idea was that when all the different instruments, with all the different players, come together in that place, that is an accord. And in that moment, it sounds beautiful. It's not about what we're hearing. It's about what the Father is hearing. And what he is hearing is this wonderful blend that for him is a fragrance and a wonderful sound in his ear. And so I want to encourage you in that, that we are praying together, and even that we are praying out loud, that we're doing this together as God's people. And there is still that place where you need to go in secret and especially if you have this propensity to want other people to hear you pray, <laughs> then it's really important that you go into the secret place and that you stay there for a while and you develop this ability, all right? Now, I'm not, I'm, please understand, I don't, uh, I hate to say it. Okay, if God tells you to do something very public, I want you to do that. If you know it's God, what I would ask you to do is before you did that, is that you went to one or two or three people and said, here, this is what I feel like the Spirit's telling me to do, and so could I run it by you? And would you just like either affirm or, or niche this whole thing? You know, that, that kind of a thing. So you get a little counsel from a, a couple of, two or three other people before you do it. So I really, unless you've really talked to someone, I don't want to see you on the corner of Minnesota and 41st. All right? unless you're hanging on a sign and making some money that says closeout sale at Kohl's, okay? <laughs> if you want to do that, that's fine. All right. But don't go out there and start preaching and praying to be seen by everybody else. I'm going to bring it a little closer home. If you pray before you eat at home, then it's perfectly okay for you to pray before you eat in a restaurant. But you don't need to pray for the revival of the whole world in the restaurant. Just pray for your food and be done. All right? It's perfectly acceptable. It's all right to do that. All right? But this people group that Jeannie prayed about today, you don't need to pray for them at Culver's. 
all right? Just pray for your food and move on. If you don't pray for your food before your, your meal, some people pray for their food after their meal. Some people pray once a day for all the food they're going to eat all day. They're very efficient people, okay? Um, you ought to do it how you do it. So if you don't pray before a meal at home, but you go to Kofea and order a cup of coffee and a scone, and then you sit there and you just pray for a little while, you, you just want somebody to see you. It's wrong. You don't do that, all right? You've already got your reward, all right? It's the scone. Just eat it and move on. <laughs> That's not the way Life Church is going to do this thing, all right? So when we go out next week to, to uh, eat out at the lake, we're going to ask somebody to pray. We're going to be careful about who we choose because we're going to pray a good prayer for our food and for our safety, and then we're going to move on and have some fun because out there, it's not a place to let people see you and how you pray. It's a place for people to see you and how joy fills your life as you fellowship with others in the body of Christ. There's a right place. There's a good place for these things. And Jesus says, oftentimes, it's the secret place. One more. That is fasting. I know that uh, this one's tough for a lot of us. And I know that there's occasions when we tell you to fast. And so all of you know that everybody else is fasting, except those of you who go out to eat together while we're fasting. Then you all know that you're not fasting. But when we call a fast, it's not to set you up for an unjust reward. It's to say that corporately we're going to fast. And so what we're going to do corporately is we're going to wash our face and we're going to look good and we're going, to, we're going to encourage one another and bless one another knowing that we're doing this together. And so there is this secretive piece to it. We're not going to put it on the radio. You know, we're not going to put it out there so the whole community knows that we're doing this. But we're going to fast. Sometimes we fast on a consistent basis. For instance, on Tuesdays, this building shuts down. We don't have events in the building on Tuesday. We don't, we don't have any meetings on Tuesdays. We actually start our day at another church having other pastors pray over us. And then from there, we return here, and we either find a room, each of us, and we, we, we fast and pray through the day. And the invitation is for others to come in. If, if you want to fast and pray, you can come in here and find a room. Don't go in the room where Pastor Dave is and start talking to him. All right? That's not what the day is for. It's, you don't, going and sitting with someone who is fasting and praying and annoying them with a visit is not fasting and praying. You didn't join in. All right? You actually distracted and prevented. So if you want to come in and find a place in the building to pray, because the building is shut down, you can find a place and pray for a little while. Maybe fast a meal. Whatever. It's, it's great. All right? We share that with you from the standpoint, we want you to understand two things, that we are fasting and praying for you every single week as your pastors. We feel responsible to do that. And so we're telling you that we're doing that to be encouraging to you and to build you up and to give you the opportunity to speak to us about what needs to be prayed for. And we love it when those, these, these cards come in and, and, and we've got prayer requests on there and we have something to pray over you in a given week. The emails that come in saying, hey, I'm going to be in the hospital or I'm going to do this or we're going on this trip. Can you just pray for us? We absolutely love having those specifics to pray for. And so every Tuesday we're doing that. There's nothing wrong with saying that in the context of the life of the church because we want that to bring life to you. All right? We're, our intent is that you feel benefited from that and that you feel blessed from that because we feel that is our responsibility to do that. But you're not going to have us going downtown and sitting somewhere in a park as people come by and having distorted faces and uh, moaning and, and groaning and someone walking by saying, are you all right? And as Jesus pointed out, as the Pharisees would do, and, and have 
us say, oh, it's okay, we're, we're just fasting and praying, but it's killing us, you know? No. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's what was happening in the day of Jesus, is that people were disfiguring themselves, putting ashes on their body. You know what they were doing? They were costuming comes back to this piece of being a hypocrite, being an actor on a stage. They were literally costuming themselves to look a certain way, to project a certain image so that people would pay attention to them, maybe sympathize with them, or think more highly of them than they ought to. Listen, when you and I put that kind of expectation upon one another in a culture, we have we have completely destroyed the life-giving culture. If you come to me and say, I don't fast, I'm going to love you, I'm, I'm going to be good with you, but I'm going to say, how can I help you to get started? Now we're going to push each other on. The Bible says we are to spur one another on in love. All right? But we don't, we don't disfigure ourselves. All right? So the right way to fast, in secret. Don't tell a lot of people you're doing it. All right? You have to tell people in your home, if my wife or I are fasting, that means we're not going to be on the same page meal-wise, maybe even sleep-wise. For some of you, you need a nap when you fast. You know, Somebody might need to know that. Your productivity will drop when you're fasting. Your supervisor might need to know that. All right? there are p- some of you, you have to talk to your doctor because you have issues. And it's necessary for you to make sure that you connect with your primary physician before you start fasting so that they can know what's going on. If something spikes, you got to be able to handle that. All right? So there are places where, where this stuff needs to be known. But in general, we do it in secret. And there in secret, God sees us. And there in secret, we are rewarded. If we're life giving in our culture, we don't perform. Folks, Life Church is not a stage, and we're not going to start acting. We don't bring empty, dead righteousness into our church and our faith community because we're Life Church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, we want to 